Welcome to episode 516 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Sunday, January 14th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, long time. Yeah, long time no see. It may sound a little bit funny on the air, folks, but Paul and I got together in person on uh, Tuesday. Yeah, we saw each other Tuesday. You were in town. So we've seen each other recently. We just haven't been on the air in a minute. The, the, the... And shocker, it was at Whataburger. And yeah, shocker, weird. it was at Whataburger. Weird. Yeah. So weird. That's where, it, that's where it had to be. So you were in town. How many times did you eat Whataburger? Just, Just that, that one time, time because I ended up going home early oh, wow. uh, Thursday because I was sick because the plan was to hit one and uh, hit the same one up on the way home before going to the airport. But then I ended up getting an earlier flight and that didn't happen. So I'm a little bummed that I uh, I only got that one. Well, you have to wait till uh, till you're rounded again. I mean, either in Texas, Arizona, the Southwest uh, or the Southeast as well. I believe there's some in Jacksonville. Is that right? Jacksonville, yeah, a lot of, lot of I, I-10 in the southeast until I get back to Texas, which uh, won't be long. I'll be back in Austin the uh, week of February 5th. Boom. There we go. So we know what we'll be doing on the week of February 5th. We've actually got some moves to talk about, so we'll dive right in. And we're going to talk a little bit about your recent piece on Dylan Bundy and why you might be uh, kind of pushing him up your, up your board here. So we'll get to that in a moment. But let's first start with something that Eno and I discussed last time out, but now is finalized. We were in the theoretical stage of a Garrett Cole trade. We'd heard that he was being traded to Houston. Then they were like, psych. And now they're like, no, 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 we're really doing it. So that trade has happened. And uh, he's going out to the Astros for Joe Musgrove, Michael Feliz, Colin Moran, and Jason Martin. So it's more of a quantity over quality, although I really like Joe Musgrove, and I actually like Michael Feliz a little bit. I understand why it feels light based on uh, on kind of Garrett Cole's stature, but they also bought low, so kudos to the Astros there. What did you think when you saw the deal come across for Garrett Cole? I, you know, one of, one of my uh, friends on Twitter, Steve Kinsella, kind of compared it to uh, the Indians trading Cliff Lee uh, to the Phillies and getting Jason Knapp, Carlos Carrasco. Yeah. Uh, one of the catchers, I forgot one of the catchers they got in that deal. Maybe it was Jason Donald, some long similar name, but they got four guys out of that one. And Carrasco hit obviously big for them, but that's kind of what it felt because at the time Cliff Lee was being bantered about one for ones. I mean, a month ago, it was supposed to be the Pirates were asking for Clay Torres was the catcher you were thinking. There of. you go. There you go. Uh, and the, uh, and that the, the Yankees were saying, no, well, maybe we'll let you have Clint Frazier. And then there was talk that. Both guys, I believe there was talk that both guys were off the table. And if that's the case, then it comes down to who's got the better quality of depth when you're looking for a quality for quantity trade. And with Cole having two years of control and zero chance to re-sign him, this is is when you do that. And so sure. I, that I credit the Pirates for. We don't know what else was out there. And if they, were, if they, were, if they declined a straight-up Frazier for Cole offer – I don't know, man. Uh, I would have taken that one myself. But if this was the best quantity package that was out there, it addresses a few needs for them. It gives them two everyday guys right now. It gives them three everyday guys as soon as Feliz is ready. And then you got the wild card uh, and and, uh, Jason Donald. So they could have four major league players out of trading one guy. And for that, it works out. I mean, I'm kind of – I think it impacts – positively a lot of fantasy futures here i'd like it for cole obviously i'd like it because it gives mm-hmm. a musgrove an opportunity to get out of the bullpen it's going to give moran a, an opportunity to get into the lineup that he was never going to see in houston and, and it gives Feliz a chance to to move into eventually a high leverage role in the bullpen. 
Yeah, I, I agree with your your entire assessment right down to the fact that I probably would have taken Frazier in a one-for-one, one, get that uh, get that premium hitting prospect, but they went ahead and loaded up on some pitching first here because I do think that Musgrove and Fleas are the, are the top two pieces of the deal, but then Colin Moran, uh, like you said, should kind of slot in right away. So they're more of retooling than rebuilding. I don't think they're going to tear it all the way down. And so I think uh, we're going to see moves like this. You know, a McCutcheon deal could be something similar where it's it's more of a, a quantity, three three solid guys as opposed to one big guy, especially with, with McCutcheon. He's a lot different story. He's a, a rental and he's older, whereas uh, Garrett Cole was, like you said, two years left. So I think it was a solid move. Um, you know, and I were talking about this, some of the analysis out there that's, that showed how it this should actually improve strikeouts for Garrett Cole and uh, Derek Carty kind of broke that down with the way the, uh, the, the park sets up altitude batter's eye, a lot of different factors that go into it right. that you might not normally think of that actually improve strikeouts. So, uh, and then Todd Zola did an analysis about how the AL and NL aren't uh, as far apart. And I, I've actually been kind of seeing that for the last couple seasons. So um, I think this, this definitely works. Garrett Cole, somebody that is going to have a lot of excitement now. He was already going pretty high, though. I don't think a lot of people were really jumping out on Garrett Cole. Let me pull up exactly where he was going. He was going uh, at pick 91 overall. So, you know, a, a firm top 100 pick. I could see him bouncing up 10 to 15 picks just going to Houston alone. So, yeah, I agree. be ready to pay. Yeah, I agree. And then I think, you know, you know, I, I felt bad when I was listening to you guys uh, talk on the Thursday. Like, you know, felt bad because he had this whole piece written out and then the trade wasn't going to happen. And there's nothing worse than writing something that never happens. But thankfully for him, it did. But, I, you know, he raised a couple of good points in his article talking about – the uh, the spin rate on his pitches and how it was forcing me. You, you talked about it as well. Uh, it's not. I wouldn't call Garrett Cole's fastball Joe Kelly-ish, but you know it's got the velocity, but it doesn't have it doesn't have the spin, doesn't have the uh, it's straight. Uh, and when you look at the chart, yeah, I mean there was a there was a chart that Jeff Zimmerman put out. Uh, when you look at the he, had, I remember him doing a chart. I think it was last year. It talks about velocity against spin rate. And if you do the X and Y axis, last year, Garrett Cole's average four-seam fastball was 96 miles an hour, and his average spin rate in the four-seamer was 21.65. You put those two axes together, and you get a swing and miss rate around 8%, which is uh, below average for the pitch. Uh, and if we moved it up, if he would have a spin rate, it goes up about a percent every 100 revolutions on there. So even if he would have moved it over to, uh, to 2,300, he'd be at 9%, 2,400, 10%. So it's a, it's a high-velocity, low-spin rate type of thing. But then you look at that curveball, and there's so much to like about that curveball. And if you look back at how the Astros, when they got you know, when they got Colin McHugh, hey, throw more of your better pitch. They got Charlie Morton. Hey, throw more of your better pitch. And also, you know, your other stuff, throw it as hard as you can. Uh, Lance McCullers, we want you to throw more curveballs. And so when you look at Cole coming in, I think it's pretty easy to see the Astros doing, hey, don't throw as many fastballs, and please throw more curveballs. It's a really good pitch. You should use more of it. And so I agree with all the other factors that uh, that Cardi talked about and Zola talked about and reworking him to get him to use his best pitch more and his other and his secondary offerings more. We go back. We don't have to go back too long ago to see how good Garrett Cole can be when everything's working right. Two years ago, had the run support, had the bullpen, uh, stuff was working well, and we 19 wins, awesome ratios, 200 plus strikeouts through 200 innings. Now he's in the American League, doesn't have to get yanked out of starts because of when his lineup uh, when his lineup spots coming up, he's gonna have awesome run support, and he's gonna have a really good bullpen behind him. Uh, 
it could be a repeat of 2015. And if right now you said he was, what, 91 in the top 100, uh, you could – I feel comfortable taking him in the top 75. I'm being a little bullish here, but I think uh, I think he's a top 75 guy if everything goes his way. Yeah, I've always been a cool guy uh, in terms of just kind of the overall talent. But, you know, one of the things that you and I learned firsthand out there in, in the Arizona Fall League when he was out there was – that maybe the mental aspect was a little bit lacking to kind of take him to the the, the tip top and, and and be that full on ace. Well, now he's going to be age twenty seven. Hopefully, starting to mature a little bit. Going to a team that is going to work with him on some things that should help him maximize his arsenal uh, for Garrett Cole and maybe lean less on that fastball and get back to previous levels. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to get some Garrett Cole shares. We'll see how the market reacts to this. I do think it'll send him upward. A um, few other small moves before we get into some Dylan Bundy chatter. Addison Reed out to Minnesota uh, to strengthen up their bullpen a little bit. Now, they already had Fernando Rodney go out there, and he was looking like he was going to be the closer. Now there's at least some competition, and uh, you know we'll see. Although we're seeing teams more and more be like, hey – we're going to put kind of the lesser guy in the ninth, and we're going to let our better guy be there in those in those middle innings. And Addison Reed looks like somebody who who could kind of be not relegated, but put into that situation where it's like we we need you in the seventh eighth a lot more than we're going to need you for clean ninths. So um, it is going to be kind of a Rodney Reed battle. But what do you think of Addison Reed out to Minnesota? I think it's a nice insurance policy there in Minnesota when. Fernando Rodney, I want to say two winners ago, was really struggling, and then he was free last year and ended up having a very good start to the season, ended up getting his saves, eating into your ratios, but he got his saves, and that's what you drafted him for, and you got those saves that are cheap. So it could happen again here in Minnesota. He's on the one-year deal. Reed's on the two-year deal. It's an expensive insurance policy, but you have to wonder how long uh, Minnesota would wait to pull the trigger especially because it was only a one-year deal on Rodney. It's not like they have a lot invested there. Uh, I If you're entering into a draft, I could see cases where Reed goes before Rodney right now, given the recency bias around things. But I'm not a fan of drafting the handcuff, but I almost think that you got to chase both these guys here because if you you end up getting Rodney and Reed still on the table, I think it makes a nice thing if you're towards the end of the draft and and you're on the wheel and you could take these guys back-to-back a little bit towards garbage time. But, again, I wouldn't surprise me. I'd say at at the next – 10 drafts if Reed went before Rodney in like six or seven of them. And w- and one of the things about it, you mentioned that it is a, a an insurance policy, but also they needed a better bridge. You know, first off, their starters aren't great. Uh, I think Barrios uh, definitely has the most upside, and I really do like him. And Irvin Santana is a really solid number two, number three type. But then it's, mm-hmm. it's Kyle Gibson. You know, I've, I've made my thoughts clear on him, especially if you're at the Arizona Fall League. Uh, at Alberto Mejia, who's a solid five, and then Aaron Sigers, and I don't know who – or Sleggers. I can't tell if that's a small I or a small L uh, here on roster resources. It might be Sleggers. But that tells you all you need to know about sweet Aaron over here. Um, so they don't have a great rotation or a great bridge. This helps with that. They got Zach Duke as well. They give him a nice lefty. So they're starting to work on it. Trevor Hildenberger was somebody that kind of they kind of discovered last year. So now they're starting to get some pieces. So I like Reed, even if he doesn't close, to be a key uh, part for this uh, Minnesota Twins uh, bullpen. Excuse me. What do you think about them possibly getting you Darvish still? Right. Do you think that's still on the table? They've got to. Yeah, I think it is still on the table. I mean, I saw somebody use the angle of Reed has the same agent as Darvish, and maybe that's why they gave Reed a contract that appears on paper to be a little over market value. 
I, I don't know if that works. I mean, you see it in college football all the time where, hey, Paul, if you come commit to UCF, we'll go ahead and sign your offer your cousin too. Right? <laughs> yes. Uh, get, get, let the clown carry on. Yeah. Uh, sign the good one and then let me come right. chill for, for four years over there as well. Yeah, I don't know if, you, if that'll be the case. But I also saw a note, by the way, that Edison Reed is the first multi-year free agent contract the Twins have ever handed out. To me, that's mind blowing. To me, that's mind blowing. But then they also, it also, uh, it kind of explains why the Minnesota bullpen's been the way it has been over the years. Uh, they, you know, they've always had that one good dude or something like that. But you know, you've got to, in this day and age, with the bullpen becoming more and more of a factor. I mean, I'm not saying that you need to go out there and be the Rockies and drop 50 million on a bullpen. But hell, even sign something for a multi year deal. I mean, if, if if the Cardinals can give Randy Choate a three year deal back yeah. in the day. Certainly the Twins could do something like that, right? Uh, so, But, I yeah, I don't yeah. think it takes the Twins out of it. It's just – it's a really weird offseason because you've got the rich getting insanely richer. I mean, you've got the world champs just adding a guy that could be their second number one or third number a one. A legitimate potential you know? ace. They're just like, oh, we'll just add that. We just won the World Series. We'll just go ahead and add a potential ace and a solid and it barely took anything. It barely took anything off of what got them th- through the World Series. I mean, Musgrove was definitely a factor in the bullpen later in the season. Uh, but, you know, Morant wasn't in the, wasn't on the 25, or if he was, it was very, you know, very small. Uh, Feliz wasn't there. So, uh, you know, the Yankees did what they'd done. And somebody else, I don't really want it to be a two-team race. That makes it a very boring uh, season if you've got two juggernauts and everybody else is just there. Uh, but I think the Twins, they've got enough young talent. Go ahead and work in this window. You've got this window of uh, with Buxton. Uh, you know, you've got Barrios. you got to do your thing. And I, I don't think it takes them out of it. But let's get something done here. It's the middle of January. Pitchers and catchers report in four weeks. Five weeks at the most. Yeah, it's like, it's like a month. I mean, it's it's coming. It's coming because I think things start a little bit early. Awesome too. I think it's like thirty-two days, but let's get it done. Yeah, and I I think Darvish would be a really good fit for them. I think they should continue to be aggressive there for the Twins. Good signing with Addison Reed for sure. Um, and and I think the icing on the cake or or, or the actual cake really would would be would be Darvish because uh, he'd be such a huge impact for them. So we'll see how they go. Got that nice young offense that's working, uh, and they're kind of piecing the pitching together. Brad Hand was extended by the Padres, which kind of puts maybe not to rest, but certainly quiets down a lot of the idea that he might be traded. But I also think it kind of gives some stability to drafts right now that are looking about yo, can we draft Brad Hand as a closer? Or is he going to be dealt, you know, in a week to somewhere where he's not closing, where he's the, where he's the primary lefty? I think this puts a, a bit of an end to that. Let's see. They had, what, what is it, a three-year deal? Uh, yeah, three-year deal with a club option. Going to get make a guaranteed 19.75 mil deal pending a physical. He had the physical. He's good to go. So the club option is also worth 10 mil uh, and, and a $1 million buyout. So Brad Hand basically got, uh, you know, a, a, a little – Andrew Miller deal right there, right? A nice long-term deal, a three-year deal that can be worth upwards of thirty, about $30 million. Uh, he's been amazing the last two years, former starter that just couldn't get it going as a starter and has turned into a tremendous, tremendous reliever. If – this is a giant if because he was so bad last year and they changed things on him. But if Carter Capps could ever get back to kind of uh, his levels – that would be a dynamic righty-lefty punch oh. for them. Although somebody like a, a, a Kirby Yates uh, emerged last year with a big strikeout rate. If he could keep the ball in the yard, yep. maybe he could be the right-handed version or Phil Maton. They they usually groom guys uh, out of nowhere in San Diego. They've always done it, not not just because of the ballpark, just uh, 
they just seem to be able to kind of cultivate relievers. Brad Hand is now their stud reliever. What do you think of him resigning? And do you like him as a closer? I, I love him as a closer. Uh, I love that he resigned selfishly because I have him for two dollars in my home NL league. Uh, he was a guy that I went after last year with uh, with the intent uh, of this happening for him down the line. And so it, let's not for, let's not forget. He you said he wasn't good as a starter. He wasn't good as his reliever too. He was flat out released by the Marlins. And he was only due, he was making the league minimum. He was getting ready to head into his first ARB. He didn't have a great story. And the Marlins didn't even bother tendering. They just flat out cut him. Then the Padres took him and was like, uh, hey, uh, we liked you, you were playing a little bit with a slider there in 15. Could you throw that pitch a bunch more? Thanks. Please and thank you. And he threw a bunch of it. He threw a bunch of it. And that's really been a difference. You look at that slider and it it, it is filth. And that's really is what helped him turn the corner and and become this Andrew Miller light. I mean, really, just because he's the power end game reliever, and you, you always want to compare him to Andrew Miller. Andrew Miller's in the class by himself, Definitely. to be honest with you, as far as that you know non closing closer. Uh, but I really like what I see out of hands, and I think you know, and Kirby Yates is a good name to bring in about there too, because that's the guy Tampa Bay released. They said, never mind. I mean, if you think back to fifteen. Dude gave up a ton of homers, uh, just a bunch. Every time he came out, I want to say seven and 23 innings. I mean, he just could not keep the ball in the yard. Then he goes and he was playing around. I think he started throwing more splitters, and he became one of the guys showing more spin rate. And he started throwing that fastball up in the zone, and that played really well in San Diego. And, and so that helps too. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that hands there, and I agree it's going to provide some stability there to what is a very uncertain closer market right now. You know, those of you guys drafting early uh, in drafts, you can probably find some bargains and saves right now just because of all these guys sitting around waiting for contract offers, uh, which again, getting back to Reed kind of made, that's really what stood out to me is like, man, he got paid because right now nobody's getting paid. Everybody uh, is getting right at market value and 9 million a year for Reed is not at market value. No, I mean, he definitely uh, jumped up there and, and, and got a nice deal, and, and, and so did Brad Hand. It's going to be interesting when the dust settles to see where the where the values are on those closers, because right now I think once you get past like the top eight to ten guys, and even they have some uh, some questions within that within that grouping, it is wide open, and, and people are just taking their best guess on some of these closers, and obviously those situations are going to firm up. And we're going to look back and be like, damn, I got that guy in the 28th or uh, I paid for this guy in the 12th round and he's not even closing. So we'll see how that goes. Um, tiny move over here by the Mets. I, I was really surprised by this because I would have thought if this guy was picking up anywhere, it would have been the AL so that he could DH a little bit. But Adrian Gonzalez signs with the Mets. I mean, is that is there anything more Mets than nothing more Mets scooping up Adrian Gonzalez? I mean, what is the, what's Dom, what does Dominic Smith have to do? You know, a lot of Dominic Smith's been out there. Yeah, I know the bar. I mean, you guys even mentioned this on Thursday's podcast. The bar is really high for first baseman prospects. That said, you know, why can't you mm-hmm. let Dom Smith go out there and then try to be the uh, the, the next James Loney type? If, if you're if you don't believe in him, then move him at this point. I if the Mets. This is the kind of move you make if you are if you think you're contending. I, I'm not a believer that the Mets are a contending team, uh, and I know it costs them nothing if he's like a league minimum contact because the Dodgers are paying him 85 million this year not to play for him. Then that's one thing. But if you're looking for somebody to bide him some more time, yeah. this Atlanta's actually paying them. Oh yeah, sorry, yeah, uh, part of that. Uh, there are, I think, there were better fits out there, and there was talk about them going back to get Lucas Duda and. 
that's an, you know, they're speaking of bargains who could end up uh, being out there uh, type of thing. But this was kind of a, like I said, such a Mets move that we should have seen. Or it. move Jay Bruce to first base and, and get a different outfielder. Like, if you're not going to get Duda, among other guys, get, do Mark Reynolds. Um, I don't know. Like, I just feel like there's other moves that could have been done. Adrian Gonzalez? Okay. I, I guess, man. I always liked Adrian Gonzalez when he was good, but he seemed to hit that that proverbial cliff, and I'm just not sure how much there is. But as you mentioned, they are paying him the minimum, so on that end, I will give them at least a little check mark and say that's a, that's a positive, right? It is a free gamble to see if there's anything left in Adrian Gonzalez's bat. I don't love it though. I, I just I really don't. Um, so yeah, we're not going to spend too much time on that move. I do want to talk about Dylan Bundy though. Uh, we talked about uh, Garrett Cole earlier, and you, you mentioned where, where you're taking him. And I think based on where you're taking him, I was going to ask you if you'd take Bundy ahead of him because I know that you're falling in love with him, but probably not because I don't know if you're taking him top 75. But you recently wrote about him over at Rotowire, rotowire.com slash baseball. Jump over there, take a look. You'll see Colette's calls right on top of the page right now. And uh, you, you deep dove Dylan Bundy. What'd you find? So, you know, when you get back to Bundy, we all know the pedigree. He falls into this whole thing of, you know, former guy we all dumped on, everybody's moved on, let's get back to him. Uh, it, the pieces are there because high draft pick, high pedigree. We know the story that he had a a, a cutter hybrid and and prep ball that Jason Parks once called a, a piece once called a piece of aerodynamic filth, uh, and that the pod, and that the the Orioles wouldn't let him throw it until last year. They said, okay, go ahead and throw it. And this is, you know, people give me a lot of crap for wondering why I'm so much on new pitches. You know, we, we talked about Brad Hand. We look at Dylan Bundy last year. And, and every year, it doesn't work for everybody. But for some guys, it's that missing piece to take the next step. And I thought Bundy took that next step last year at times. Now, that slider, it didn't just show up and stay around. You look at it, he really came screaming out of the gate. I want to say, Five and one, his first eight starts. Slider was there. He was using it a bunch. And then by his own addition, he lost the feel of it. You can look at his month-by-month usage of the slider. By the All-Star break, he was down 4%. And his numbers, there was like three stanzas to his season. The first eight starts, which were awesome. The second eight starts, which were horrendous. Uh, And then then after the All-Star break, he got back into it. And if you go back and look at what he did in August, he was just flying through, guys. I think he had a 12-strikeout game against Seattle. I think there was a 10 against Tampa Bay or something like that. He had a couple of double-digit strikeout games until he wore down at the end of the season. And I think that if he gets all three of his pitches going and they stick around, he doesn't lose that slider – I mean, I don't care who you are. If you lose, quote-unquote, your best pitch, then you're going to struggle. And that's what happened to him in the middle of the season. And then even his overall numbers, people want to dump on his overall numbers and say, you know, 13 wins and a 424 ERA. Whoop-de-doo. The league average for a starter ERA last year was 454. Right? 454. So he's, he was better. And I think I made this point on the radio yesterday. It was just, we have to adjust. This is not even, this is not 2014 anymore. 2014, the league wide ERA was about 3.9. Now it's going up half a run in two seasons. So a four and a quarter, yeah, a four and a quarter ERA is not a bad thing. So if you're projecting, I, I even, I'm, I've even read through some projections this winter where people are like, yeah, but ERA may be over four. It's because of the homer. ZFG, man. I, I don't care. I don't care if the ZRA is at four. I'm going to grab him because that gives me a better than league average starter. 
He was 37th among qualified starters in the RA, which is obviously not like super elite, but you wouldn't think a 424 would be there. And it was. And, you know, people love like Trevor Bauer. He had a 419. It's like uh, 407 for Chris Archer. If they're doing other things. See, that explains it because I love Trevor Bauer. (laughs) There you go. And Chris Archer. if, If you love, if you're down with the strikeouts, and um, he's got room to improve, I think. He had an 8.1 rate. Uh, I think it was like a 21%, 22% strikeout rate for Dylan Bundy. There's definitely upside there. You mentioned how he had the, the, the 12 strikeout and two 10s in August. So there were three starts where he totaled 32 strikeouts. That's fantastic. And that just shows kind of the upside he has when he's cooking. You know, we say it all the time about how prospect growth isn't linear. And even still, despite his ERA going up a little bit, the whip went way down. The walk rate came down. Even the home run rate, which was awful uh, in 16, was still bad in 17, but at least it went down. He he has kind of followed a linear pattern, even though we are very clear to say, like, don't look for uh, for just a straight-up linear pattern to, to improvement. I think there's still a lot to like with Bundy here, for sure. And here's the other thing is, it you know, his name's been around for a long time. He only has he oh, only, yeah. he doesn't even have two full seasons under his belt. He doesn't have a three hundred. I mean, he threw he threw one hundred and nine in uh, in sixteen. He threw one sixty nine last year. He threw two in two thousand twelve because of all the injuries and everything. You know, he's still young. It just feels like he's been around a lot longer than he has been. And you know, I think I think my conclusion of the article I, I talked about you know, in the recent there was a draft champions league. He went in the fourteenth round. His ADP is right just right there about two seventy five. He's a seventieth pitcher off the board. Man, there's a lot of profit to be had right there. And there's a guy I don't know if the guy in my league. Listen, I have tried trading for Dylan Bundy for three weeks now. And the guy keeps telling me no. Uh, and so if he's listening to this podcast, this is why I keep bugging you. And uh, I'll stop now. Uh, this is, yeah, pardon me, to say this may be like the Jerome Cotton, like you guys talked about on Thursday. About yep, I'm all in. I just I think there's a I think there's a lot to like here. Uh, the obviously it takes a little bit of a hit by losing Zach Britton at the back end of the bullpen, and uh, every year I want to I want to. Uh, discount the Baltimore bullpen because they get used so heavily. I think, okay, this is going to be, they're finally going to suck. But I still like, I still like the bullpen. I don't love it. Uh, Obviously losing Britain as long as they're going to lose him for uh, Hertz. So I don't know if I can get to, I I don't know if I see 15 wins in his future, but I see the strikeouts. Uh, Like you said, there was ratio growth last year. And again, if he's the 70th pitch off the board, that's profit city. Yeah, that, that would be huge. If he continues to go there, I think he's trending um, in the early 200. So that was on, on the outlier end of, of where he was going in that, that draft that you saw, but that, That'd be amazing. I would love to get Dylan Bundy there. He's part of the glob, the 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 group of guys there that starts around SP30 and goes to about SP70, 75. And you can really kind of slot them how you want. If you have somebody like Dylan Bundy up near the top, I completely understand it. There's pedigree there. There's, there's even performance. Like we've seen it yeah. in both of the two seasons where he's had extended runs of quality work. Keep the ball in the yard a little yeah. bit more and he's ready to soar. I mean, if, if, if he can cut the home run rate, that's obviously a, a big if for a lot of guys right now. But if Dylan Bundy can cut the home run rate, I mean, we're talking about somebody who can easily shave a full run off of his ERA and, and post like a three twenty. And some of that was against uh, some of that was due to the issues against lefties last year when he was down to the he didn't have the slider when he. <coughs> pardon me. In the article, I show that when he had the slider, things were going well. Uh, when you look at strikeout minus walk rate in August, twenty six percent. It really kept doing well, but as he lost a feel for that slider, 
lefties were hitting them hard, uh, and and that's and that's gonna happen. Uh, when you're down to two pitches, you don't have the quality of that slider to get in on people's kitchen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not ready to take him right after Eno takes Ozzy Albies, but I really like him. You mean so you're not ready to take him as the ninth overall pick? Because Eno's I thought taking, he was taking fifth, so I was taking him sixth. Uh, okay, actually, yeah, I think it did go up over the weekend. You're right. You're right. So it's a yeah. matter of if you want to take Bundy as the sixth overall pick. Dude, the Albies love is so funny because a lot of people on Twitter were just like, no, you guys are going to ruin it. Oh, man, I didn't think you guys were going to do that. Yeah, because nobody ever thinks no, – yeah, again, there are no such thing as sleepers. It's just where you're comfortable taking guys. Exactly, and so honestly, you, you better get comfortable with taking Albies early. If you want him, it's going to be a risk. He hasn't you know, shown that, that he's worth like even a top 100 pick. But I wouldn't be surprised if he meandered his way into the top 100. Albies is currently 150. And it's always judging the marketplace. I remember, you know, we've talked about it uh, previously. The first year I took Nelson Cruz, I took him well ahead of everybody else that yes. he produced. Now, I know there's lost profit because, okay, if I viewed him, I was like, I cannot believe this guy's still here in the eighth round. I'm going to take him. And then nobody else was going to take him into the 10th. I don't know that when I draft him. All it takes is one other dude like me to say, wow, he's still out there. I'm going to take him. That's all that comes down to. And that was NFBC. And NFBC folks are notorious for, for get their guys drafting and, and saying ADP says this, but that's fine. It, it's it's still just an average, right? So you can be on the high end. I, I don't blame you for it, right? And I understand. The other thing was the swing around. I want to say when I made that pick, it was in the eighth round, and I was the 13th spot in the draft. So I, wasn't, I was going to have to wait for that thing to come 25 picks, 26 picks back to me. To make that choice again. That's too, you know. What if he gets taken right before? Right. Uh, like you were comfortable taking him there. So why not take him there? When you start to push it, I don't know. I, I like it's a balance, right? Because you don't want to get crazy. And, and if somebody's taking Albies, you know, we're making jokes about, uh, you know, taking him as six, five overall. If somebody's taking Albies in like the top 50, I do think th- that's a point where you're like, okay, you, you just don't need to do that. Like that, that's, that's too high. But, you know, just a couple rounds later and you start talking about the the high 90s or the, or the low 100s, yeah, that'd be jumping his ADP a lot. But if you were comfortable with it over, say, Javier Baez, Nick Castellanos, uh, Sal Perez, Mike Moustakas, those are some hitters going in that area. I, j- I just – I don't begrudge people taking the guys that they want um, where they're comfortable taking them. Again, within reason, it's right. a balancing act. And I try to figure out when it, the AD, I know the ADP data this time of year still gets really sloppy. I mean, try to ex- somebody explain to me how Ivan Loba has been taken as high as 148. Ooh, somebody was looking at my articles from last year uh, going crazy <laughs> on them or something. Bless you. Or, or the fact that Sonny Gray has gone as high as 129. Uh, yeah, but Dylan Bundy has gone, his highest is 189. He's gone down as low as 370. So it's just really, I mean, Junior Guerra has 149. Robert Gesellman, 147. These are their low picks. I, I, don't, I would like to see what kind of roster format that is. Uh, maybe it's an ML. I don't know. Wait, I'm just wait, looking wait. at the, the ADP data for this year. Hang on. That If you're looking at it on stats, that's last year's. Data. I am. That's last year's. They, they don't, they're Oops, no longer with stats. say that. Yeah, yeah. Because well, nobody told me that. No, no, no. You're good. You're good. See if that works. See if that link works, if that's a public-facing link. We're going to have it on the site soon, by the way. I did I did tell folks that it would be coming on. Uh, we're going to have NFBC ADPs on the site soon. And I uh, I followed up with Dave over the weekend. So I'm, I'm, I'm nudging him to get it done. It's the technical stuff. I don't really know how to do that or else I would just do it. There's APIs and whatever. I don't – sorry. Yeah. I don't know all that. We are going to get it up See, there. I can talk about my wheelhouse for a while. 
That's what I do. That's what I do by day. Um, maybe maybe we need you to get it in. Did, did that link that I sent you work? I said uh, it's it's opening up. Yes, it worked. Okay, so cool. So that is a public facing link. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. You'll you'll see that uh, it, it's not quite as 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 crazy there on on some of those marks that you were talking about. Uh, but your boy Bundy's going one ninety eight. Uh, on average, 152 on the high end, 247 on the low end. Would you take him at 152? Let me give you some pitchers that are going right around there. By the way, that is right where Albies is going, 150. But the closest pitchers are Johnny Cueto at 148, Sonny Gray at 146, Lance McCullers at 155, and Chase Anderson at 157. Are you taking Dylan Bundy in that general realm with those guys? Yes. And, and um, okay, again, it was Cueto – uh, McCullers, Anderson, who was the other one I said? Oh, Sonny Gray. Can you rank him amongst those four? Uh, man, right behind Cueto. I'm still, if Cueto's healthy, I really like Cueto still because of the track record. Me too. Uh, I think he's, which is why I can't, I can't, discount. I can say, I'm going to take him because I've gotten burned in the past by chasing the latest hot thing and ignoring the veteran track record. And I don't want to do that here. Been there, been there a bunch. Um, God, and Antonio Brown's he, amazing, by the way. He's so dumb. He's so dumb. I just saw that catch too. Or I mean, AJ Boye has been all over him twice, and didn't somehow matter. Brown has still caught that ball. It didn't matter. They were just like, eh, whatever. So yeah, they're right back in it again. And I hate to insert football here, but AJ Boye's UCF guy. Until this game, he had not allowed a touchdown all year. He's now allowed two. And I you need to watch this because he has been all over Brown. And that football has ended up in the one-inch spot that that Boye cannot reach both times. Look at that catch. That, that game's going to come down to it. That's been that's been a good game. Uh, yeah, we don't. Hey, we didn't talk a lot of football this year, so I, I feel all right interjecting a, a touch of uh, playoff football here because we're actually getting a good game for once. Uh, so yeah, so you're willing to take Bundy up there at his high end? I think I would too. I I, I could definitely justify it. I would take Cueto first. I think ranking those, um, yeah, I would probably go Cueto. Anderson, McCullers, Bundy, Gray. I don't know. It's something like that. that though, that's a close group. That, and again, that's his high end. So you're not necessarily even going to have to take Bundy up there with regularity. Um, all right. Well, I think that's about, about going to wrap it up. Did you have anything else? What's your next piece going to be on? Have you figured that out yet? Are you going to do another deep dive or more of a general topic? Um, I am. Uh, I'm actually taking a look more at the fantasy angle of the of the Cole and the and what the Pyre getting is what my next piece is on okay. because I, so much focus has been put on Cole and really we haven't seen the what about the guys going to Pittsburgh? I mean, yes, they it, it's a drop down in talent, but it's for their fantasy purpose. This is this is what they want, man. They get the opportunity to go play, and and Musgrove gets the opportunity to get into a rotation again, so we can see where he is, and that's exactly it gets overlooked. Yeah, it's so it's a drop down in talent. You can't argue that, but I I always find there's there's profit in rebuilding years because everybody gets a chance to play. Whereas if your team's contending, your rookies aren't. No, and that's why Houston. You know, everyone's loving Forrest Whitley, but. What, like what's the path to him even getting up this year, even if he goes and beasts in the minors again. So I'm with you. I'm actually going to be looking forward to that because I'd like to see you do a full deep dive on that team right now because maybe assess the idea of trading like a Josh Harrison or a McCutcheon and what else they could get or or some prospects that could come up. Maybe Austin Meadows. I know he had a tough year last year, but like how close is he? Uh, give your thoughts on Glass now. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually interested in that. I know you did uh, – 
uh, underperforming pitchers, underperforming hitters before the Bundy deep dive. So I like the balance between like general topics where you get to cover a few guys and then the deep dives. Your deep dives are awesome. So I do recommend people go over there, Rotowire, uh, rotowire.com slash trial. If you don't have a subscription, but you definitely got to take a look at it. Uh, though there, are, there are friends there. I think it's like forward slash radio today, free trial. It's like 20 bucks for it's, the season. I mean, it's really it, cheap. It, like, again, the, you're paying my kids college the, fund. I, I don't, I don't, I don't slum often, but that's where it goes. Those, those, those are, those are our, our friends over there. So I have no problem promoting the work they do. And, um, Definitely your work over there. So, what's the uh, what's the travel schedule looking like? You got to get healthy. First. Travel schedule, uh, yeah, got to get healthy. Uh, next weekend, I am unavailable as the wife and I are going to Niagara Falls. Uh, and believe it or not, you would think, oh my god, it's going to be freezing cold. I'm already no, it's cold actually going to be it's going to be in the 40s. It's supposed to be in the 40s and upper 30s for a high. I was completely prepared for the worst, and it's like today here in Charlotte it is 38. So if I can deal with it today, I could definitely deal with it over there. So I'm looking forward to uh, uh, to going over the Canadian side. If any of our listeners have been to the uh, Canadian side of Niagara Falls, uh, let me know what my wife and I should do. Uh, I've scheduled some kind of wine tour and uh, flour mill restaurants. And I know the Niagara Falls, uh, Niagara Brewing Company's over there. So those are some plans right now. Uh, but if you got any inputs, please send it along. There you go. That sounds good. So we we won't have uh, a weekend pod next. Well, you know what? I'm not going to say 100% we won't, but Jason won't be on. Oh, you'll probably go get Ian just so you can further distance myself out. Yeah, I'll get Wally Pipped again. Um, I get it. I got to see what Justin's up to as well because um, I'm, I'm going to have a solo app with Justin very soon. So we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But uh, it's good to talk to you again. Yeah, he's got to make more draft choices. I had to write a rag on him because he picked uh, uh, Chris Stratton up right after you guys did the podcast episode in his draft, and I said, "Yeah, recency bias." He goes, "I don't even. I never listened to myself." Um, so yeah. <laughs> right after we were gushing on him, uh, to his credit, he he had he was telling us in the Skype chat how much he liked him. So he might have been already eyeing him, and then once we put him out there, he was worried that people would. Uh, would would start to go after him aggressively. So I totally understand why, why Justin had to do that. I'm taking him right after I take Dylan Bundy. There's my one and two pitcher right there. Just Your second and third picks. You're going to get a hitter in the first round, and then, boom, you're going to get those two. Just putting it out there. <laughs> All right, J- Jason, it was great talking to you. See, when I start talking about Justin, I'm going to mix y- y'all's two names <laughs> up. And, and clown, but uh, enjoy the rest of this uh, football weekend, and we'll talk next week. All right, buddy.